Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to leave with you tonight verses 1 and 2 that commence this chapter, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. In these opening verses, we have two main things that I, I want to consider with you, or two main heads tonight. First of all, we have a picture from the past. We have a history that is set forth. The word preached did not profit them. Now that's something in the past that we have to consider. And then secondly, following on from that, and based upon that picture, we have a practical application to us in this present day. Let us therefore fear, lest any of us come short of it, this entering into rest. So there's, there's a practical application, and that's based on the history in the past that we are thinking about first of all. And it's all turning on that word for in verse 2. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. So there's them and there's us. There's them in the past and there's us now. And we want to think about them. And then we want to think about us. So the picture then, first of all, them. Uh, and there are four things here in the picture that we have to consider. There is, first of all, the them. Who is this them? And then secondly, we have to think about the privilege that they enjoyed. They heard the preaching of the word. And then we have to think about the ineffectiveness of that word in them. Because it didn't profit them. And then we have to contemplate why it is that it didn't profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The them here, first of all, is clearly the people of God in the Old Testament times. These are not New Testament believers. These are Old Testament believers, but not all Old Testament believers. A specific group of Old Testament professors of faith at a certain particular time in the Old Testament scriptures. And it's the time of the sojourn of Israel through the wilderness. You remember whenever Moses brought the people out of Egypt? Moses and Aaron, they're leading the people out of Egypt. And what did they do? They had to bring them into the wilderness. And there was a wilderness journey of nearly 40 years. And it's to the people of God at that point in time that we're thinking about. The picture is of them in the wilderness. And so the apostle is referring to one particular generation. That generation, in actual fact, he calls it. And you see there, he's quoted Psalm 95 in chapter 3. The Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, verse 7, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, Wherefore I was grieved with that 
generation. Them. That's who he's talking about. The generation in that 40 year wandering. Them. So it is in the wilderness people that came out of Egypt and is following Moses and Aaron. And with them, God was grieved. So it's the people that we read about in Exodus and in Numbers. We're seeing them in a painting here. Paul is doing the artwork. However, we do have to make a distinction amongst this them. Because it's not referring to all Israel at that time. It's referring to those that perished in the wilderness. Them that perished. There were many who did not perish. In verse 16 of Hebrews 3 it says, For some, not all, some when they had heard did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So it wasn't all of them. It was some of them. It was many of them. There was a remnant who was faithful. There was a remnant who did go into the land of promise. Now most of those that did go in were very, very small when they left Egypt. It was the older ones who were hard and unbelieving. The murmurers and the complainers who had no peace and could not trust God and believe in the Lord. But we know that there were some that did enter in. There was Joshua. There was Caleb. Joshua and Caleb are not amongst this number. Those that who did go into the rest are not amongst this number. It's them that perished. Them whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. It's that specific group of the people of God that perished in the wilderness. Them. So you know what Paul is talking about? Who we're looking at in the painting? The perishing ones amongst the people of God in the wilderness. Now that perishing people were a very privileged people. The apostle describes this privilege in verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached. So they had preaching. This perishing people had the word of God declared on them. In fact, Paul even calls it the gospel. They had the gospel preached unto them as, uh, as well as unto us. And that's interesting that he should call the word that they heard the gospel. And this refers to God's promises that they were hearing all the time. And we know that promises us in the back of his mind in this word gospel because he says in verse 1 let us therefore fear lest a promise this is a promise of God being left of entering into his rest God gave promises of rest promises of the land ahead promises of the heavenly Canaan promises of good things God was giving these promises unto the people and Paul calls that the gospel because the heart of the gospel is promise and the promise of eternal life, the promise of rest, if we have faith in the Lord, if we have trust in Christ, and that's what this privileged people had. They had promises preached to them. They had the deliverance out of Egypt. They were brought out of Egypt by the hand of God with the mighty power. They didn't perish in Egypt and they were brought through the wilderness and all along the journey they, they were kept being encouraged 
where we're going, where we're headed to, what God has for you. If you keep on trusting, if you keep on in your journey faithful, what God has for you. And so they had this all the time, this preaching of the promises. And that promise was the word of God. It's the word that was preached unto them. That is God's word. And the fact that they had these words, these words from God, these promises, that was a token that God was with them. Because God always accompanies his word and his promise. And where his promise is, he is. Where his gospel is, he is. No matter who's preaching it, if it's his gospel, he's with it. It's his word. It doesn't fall at the head of the preacher, all of this responsibility. It's not the preacher's gospel. He just delivers the message. It's God's gospel. It's God's word, and he accompanies it. And they had God with them through his servant Moses, constantly giving them the promises of what lay before them, that they were faithful. So, so they had this, the, the, the signs of God's presence and the word of God's mouth. And there were many times that the Lord came to Moses and he said, Moses, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, thou shalt tell them what I've told you. You'll preach to them, you'll speak to them, you'll give them my word. And so they heard God's voice. That's what Psalm 95 is all about. Today if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. They had God's voice. Through Moses, through the preaching, through the word. Moses was always exhorting them, always bringing them the word. It shall be when the Lord will bring you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites. As he swore unto thee to give unto thee. He's always saying things like that. He's promised you, he's sworn you the rest. He's sworn you the land of promise. When he brings you there, it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. You'll have abundance. And you'll keep my service, sir. And you'll do my commandments, sir. And the first fruits of your land you'll bring into the house of the Lord your God. That'll be built there. They had this all the time, this preaching, this word. You shall inherit the land, and I will give it unto you to possess it. A land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God. I've separated you to be my people. Time and time again, Moses is coming and saying this. They had the word preached unto them. If the Lord delight on us, Moses said to them on occasion, then he'll bring us into this land and he'll give us a land which floweth with milk and honey. And that's just a few samples of the kind of preaching that they heard. They had the promises preached unto them. Do you remember how God said to, to Moses, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And that was the same promise to all the people of God because Moses wasn't going in on his own. He was going in with all the people of God and it was the same promise to them, every one of them. My presence is with you. I'll give you rest. I'll bring you to the rest. That's the gospel. He that believeth on him hath everlasting life. He has the promise of the rest. The land of milk and honey. Rest from all your enemies. Rest from the devil and sin and Satan. And all this is implied as that God would provide for them in the journey. If he's going to bring them to the land of promise, then he'll provide for them along the way. They'll not want. He'll see that they're fed and watered, clothed and provided for. He'll give them the grace daily. 
and they'll get there safely. That's the word of the good news that they heard. So they were privileged to have God amongst them and bringing his word and giving them all these wonderful, exceeding great, precious promises. And the same word of the gospel, God says that he's a God of truth and faithfulness. And he keeps covenant and he keeps his word and he keeps his promise. And he told them, I'm not a man that I should lie. So God was even backing up his promises with remembrances of who he is and of his faithfulness. So that was the privilege that they possessed. But all of this preaching did not do them any good. It did not change their hearts. It did not make them to have peace in their hearts. It didn't stop their murmuring and their complaining and their blaming God and their blaming Moses and their blaming Aaron and having all the fighting and the bickering and they didn't believe they were going to get the land of promise and you just brought us out here today. All of that preaching didn't do them any good. It didn't give them new hearts. And they never got to the land of promise, the land of rest. It just seemed ineffectual. All that preaching seemed powerless. And Moses, I'm sure, was a great and mighty preacher. I'm sure he had the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. But all his preaching, and it was just powerless amongst this great multitude. They made no progress. They didn't seem to advance. What does the text say? Did not profit them. All the preaching did not profit them. It didn't advance them. It didn't make them to be more like the Lord. It didn't make any change whatsoever in their hearts and their lives. By their fruits you shall know them. And they didn't have the fruits of faith and godliness. You remember how even at the start of the journey, how very quickly they turned aside to idols. Make us a golden calf, they said to Aaron. And he foolishly did it too. What has the word done in them? It hasn't changed them one bit. They're still making idols. And then you remember the day of temptation and the day of provocation. That's what Psalm 95 is about. The the Hebrew words are Massa and Meribah. Because at the start of the journey there was a Massa and Meribah. They're constantly provoking God, constantly tempting God, constantly showing that they have no faith, no trust in him. They're always questioning him. And they're showing forth that they they don't have any trust in God and no peace. And they don't even believe that they're going to get to the land of promise. They think we're going to perish in the wilderness. They can't believe. They they don't trust. And so it's not profiting them, this word. And the thing is, God was long-suffering and patient with them because he let Moses preach for 40 years. Imagine sitting under 40 years of preaching and you're still the same. Imagine sitting under 40 years of gospel preaching and you still don't know Jesus Christ or or have any faith in him. 40 years of gospel proclamation and no change. And there are people in churches like that that sat under the gospel for 40 years and they're still the same. And they're still not going to go into the land of rest. God is long-suffering and patient. And he's patient to all sinners and all men and even the worst of sinners. And God can even wait 40 years. It's an awful blight against a man that he has 40 years of preaching and he's none the better for it. That's how hard you can get under the word. So this privileged people were like that. 
today. Don't harden your heart. But they did that. And they did it every day. And they did it for 40 years. And then, well, why was this an effect of this word? And then, did not profit them, and Paul tells us why, not being mixed with faith in them. That heard it. You see, they heard it. It wasn't a hearing problem. They heard it. It wasn't that they were all deaf and couldn't hear a thing. No, they heard it. They heard the word. They heard Moses. They heard the addresses. They listened to the sermons. They heard all the speeches. They got the readings of the cursings and the blessings. They received the encouraging promises. They knew them by memory. They knew them by heart. They could even probably preach the promises themselves. They could tell the gospel themselves. They knew it that well. Every tent in Israel heard all of this preaching all the time. And there were no excuses on that score. There was no one in the camp of Israel could come out and say, I never heard the gospel. I never heard the good news. And I don't think there's anybody in this church could ever say that. I've never heard it. In fact, I wonder if there even anybody in Northern Ireland could really say that. I, I've never heard the gospel. I've never heard about the cross. I've never heard about Jesus dying for our sins. I've never heard about heaven and hell. I don't think there's a soul in Northern Ireland could say that. Not a soul. Now, they mightn't have heard all the preaching that you've been privileged to hear and other Christian congregations, the, the full gospel, but everybody hears enough of it to have some concern. The problem wasn't ignorance. They're not perishing because of ignorance. That the word did not advantage them was not the fault of the word either. There was no shortfall in the promise. The promises of God are precious and powerful. They're faithful and true. They're wonderful. And there's no shortfall in them. In fact, Paul goes on down the chapter to make that very clear. The word of God is quick and powerful. This is the same word that the word that was preached, the word that they heard. This word is the word of God. It's living. It's mighty. It's able to go down into the heart. It's piercing. It's sharp. It's cutting. It's transforming. It divides asunder. It cuts up and divides and makes quite a change in a person when it really gets in there and does that job that it, it can do. It's not in the word the problem. It's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. The problem was not in the word that they heard, the word of God. The problem was in them. That's what the text says. What does it say there in verse 2? The word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them. In them is the problem. In them is this absence of faith. Trust in the word. Trust in the word as God's word, as faithful and true. So they, they won't admit this, of course, the sinners. The sinners will never say the problem's in me. They'll say the problem's in the preacher. The problem's in the way he preaches the sermons. The pro problem is in the word itself. The problem is in the sermon. The problem is in the gospel. But no, God says that the problem is in the sinner. In the heart of the sinner. 
And so men can blame the message and the messenger and they can make all kinds of excuses for refusing the word and giving it their rejection and continue their murmuring and complaining and their unchanged life and heart. Sinners will justify themselves endlessly. They'll say, Moses, he's just a bigot. He's just an arrogant so-and-so. And the leaders are this and the leaders are that and Aaron's this and that and the other. They'll make all kinds of excuses for their unchanged, unbelieving hearts. All their excuses are just justifications for the rejection of the word of God. So the real problem is, is unbelief. No faith. No ability to trust the word. And to trust in the God of the word. You see, to profit from the word, there must be something mixing with it in the heart. And God calls that faith. God's word needs to be believed. It needs to be received. It needs to be embraced. It needs to be obeyed by the heart. And this was the problem of this perishing people. They they had no faith. And they could not be persuaded of the truth of the word. They might have given some intellectual assent to it. They might have said this and that and they knew the contents of the word. But they can't trust it. They can't let themselves be changed by it. They wouldn't dare be humbled through it and receive a saviour and confess their sinners. And so they couldn't take hold of its transforming power. They didn't want to take hold of the word. They couldn't believe. And they're very happy to listen to other voices and go on in their peaceless condition. They hardened their heart to God's voice. And they did this very easily because they didn't believe. They wouldn't believe it. No faith to mix with it. You see, that's what the word needs. It needs mixture of faith. We need a union with the word through faith. This word mixed is a very rare word in the Bible. It's only used twice. And the only other occurrence is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24. God hath tempered the body together. And that word tempered is the word mixed. He's mixed the body together. An arm here and an arm there and a leg there. An eye here and an eye there and the ears. It's all been mixed together so that it's one unit, one organism one body. And that's what the heart needs to do with the word. It needs to become at one with it. A union with it. Living with it. Taking it into the life. Imbibing it into every part of our humanity. Every part of our soul and ever our heart. So that the word is controlling us. They had not formed a union to it by faith. They didn't let it into their minds and hearts. They didn't take hold of it. It is when faith is present that the word ignites in power in a life and transforms it. Paul found that when he went to Thessalonica. He said, you received the word of God when you heard it of us. 
But you did not receive it as the word of a mere man or of men. But you received it as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. Only in you that believe it effectually works. The rest are like dead doors. And you can bang the door knocker all you like. It'll just make a noise and there won't be one bit disturbed. It'll just maybe make a wee dent, a wee dent in the timber over the years. That's, that's all it'll do, just a wee dent in the timber. It'll not be changed much. No faith. Hard as a door. And there can people in the church be as hard as a door. And others are melted and broken and transformed and changed and made repentant and humble because they believe, they have true faith and they believe. So that's the picture. They didn't have this faith. What can we say with regard to the practical application? There's the past. The past is the past. It's done. It can't be changed. The perished in the wilderness, that crowd, However, we can learn from them. That's the thing you say. And we ought to do so because the past ought to admonish us. And you remember how Paul said, their examples are written down for our admonition, for us today upon whom the ends of the world have come. And so this historic painting, Paul has just took it out of the Bible and he just set it before the Christian church. And he says, now let's come to ourselves. What about us? This us here is the professing believers in Paul's day. Paul even includes himself. Let us therefore fear. So he's linking them all with the past. They heard God's voice of the past. We're hearing it in the gospel. Let us fear. So there's a parallel here, isn't there? There's a parallel in the hearing. There may be a parallel in the not coming into the rest and the perishing. And so Paul says, Let, let's fear about this. Let's not be presumptuous. This is a godly fear, of course. Not a slavish fear. The child of God is not afraid to have a godly fear and to search his heart and to examine these things and to check the foundation. The child of God is not afraid to say, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's a wicked way in me. Lord, try my faith. What sort it is? The child of God is not afraid of that. And shouldn't be either. Let us fear. Let us be careful. We've heard the word. We've heard the good news of the Savior, the forgiveness of sins through him. We have the promises, but let us fear lest a promise being left with us, we should come short. And so we have promises left with us. That's what Paul is saying. We have the gospel promise left with us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. We have that gospel promise left with us. The promise of eternal life, the promise of rest. But do we have the true faith? So in the words then, the apostle is warning them to be sure of the matter of salvation. Now the apostle is not denying that he is saved and that the believing are saved. In fact, he goes on to say the contrary in verse 3 there he says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. We have entered into rest because we have believed. 
but there is no harm making sure about these matters. What did Peter say? Let's give diligence to make our calling and election sure. You don't want to miss eternal life. You don't want to miss the heavenly rest. You don't want to be an unbeliever, unchanged by the word of God. So he's not wanting them to doubt their salvation, but he is wanting them to examine themselves, to question themselves. And that's permissible in the Christian faith. In fact, it's essential that our hearts make diligent search because there's so much deception and there's so much counterfeit faith and false faith. You remember the parables of the ground that the Lord talked about? There were a couple of the grounds that seemed to have faith, but it all perished and all shriveled up. It wasn't true faith at all. We want to have true faith, congregation. So the fact that you have a Bible is not enough. The fact that you have gospel preaching is not enough. The fact that you have all these privileges is not enough. Do you have faith in Christ? Do you have true saving faith in the Redeemer? Are you believing in the captain of your salvation? Are you taking hold of him with all your heart? Are you journeying with the Joshua across the Jordan into the land of rest? Are you following close the Saviour? Have you the faith in that Christ, that Jesus, that Joshua, that adheres to the very end? And could you never let him go? That faith that, that adheres to Christ, always to the end. To the end. You remember how we saw that expression? The end. To the end. So the gospel promises, he that believeth on Christ hath everlasting life. So don't let any come short of that in this house. Let none miss that. No one. And if you don't believe on Christ, you will come short of it. You will miss it. So believe on him. Be very sure your faith is in Jesus Christ crucified. For your sins. And that you're depending on him alone. And that you're taking the gospel promise to your heart by faith. And that that faith is being mixed with the gospel. So the sinners here believe in Christ. Have faith. And the saints here keep on believing. Keep on trusting in Christ. Continue to the end. And get stronger in faith. And reliance. Upon your dear Lord and Saviour. Jesus Christ. And never depart from him.